Lord, thank you. What beautiful words that we've sung. Lord, my desire this morning is that each one of us would speak the name of Jesus over all that we are, all that we're living in, all that we're facing, to believe in the power of that name and the goodness of that name and the grace and love and mercy that that name represents and the truth of who you are. We speak Jesus right now over every part of our life at the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We pray these things and all God's people would agree and say, Amen. Hey, so when you walked in the building this morning, maybe uh, if you're newer, you're like me last year, I was newer. You walked in and there's just flags everywhere. And you're like, what is going on around this place? Anybody like that this morning? A few of you, okay, you're a little timid to raise your hand. You don't want to admit you're new or that you thought, what is going on? Now the real story, like, right? You know, these flags represent countries that this church has, has done ministry in. And we understand um, that as the church of Jesus Christ, we are a church that is on mission. All right. Let me share a word with you. It's one of my favorite words. It's not one of Brad's favorite words. So we actually have some differences there, right? But let me share this word with you. It is glocal. So what two words do you think that makes up? Yeah, see how good that word is? You understood two words in one word. That's just like, that's the way it's supposed to be. Glocal. Remember Remember the words of Jesus as he is ready to ascend to the Father and he is, is speaking to his disciples and he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The church is going to start and you will be my witnesses. And then listen, in Jerusalem, that's local. In Judea, a little, more lo a little less local. In Samaria, that's Michigan, amen? <laughs> the Jewish people and the Samaritan people didn't really care for each other, so that's Michigan for you guys. And to the ends of the earth, right? And so as a church, we are on mission. This is the great co-mission of the church. Co-mission, two words there, mission, and there's partners in that mission. That Jesus started the mission, but he's called for us to partner with him. An object in motion remains in motion. And for the last 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, has only moved forward, and it will only continue to move forward. And we are invited into this mission. Are you excited about that? And so there's many ways to do this. There's time that we give locally. There's resources that we give locally and abroad. There's talents that God has given us that we use. And part of understanding that is we take a couple weeks to think about how we are stewarding our resources. Hundreds of thousands of dollars pour out of this house every year 
that are engaged in the mission of Jesus Christ. And we want to keep that in front of us. So next week, you know, you'll be introduced to this card again. I'm already, I'm giving you a heads up. Um, We're going to ask you to think about, okay, well, just a second. Let me share this with you. This verse has never left me. Jesus is sharing a parable about how I should understand the resources of time and talent and treasure that God's given me. What do I do with that? He shares this parable, and he finishes with this little verse. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The Lord's mindset is, hey, I have given you all that you have. And of course you need to live and survive and provide for your family. That's all a part about this. But you also need to see these resources as a way for you to live into something that is greater than you and lives beyond you. I don't know about you, but I'm interested in living in a way that people don't forget who I was and that I was a part of something that was bigger than my little life. Amen? And a part of how we are on mission is figuring out how to use our resources. And so for a couple weeks, we invite you to think about this part of your life and to do something that is eternal in nature. We have a lot of faith promise partners, but today we are really privileged to have one of those come and share with us today. Um, Dwayne, Dwayne, I'm going to invite you up right now, if you don't mind. Can we welcome Dwayne Mills and ARO to the platform? <laughs> Dwayne's family is super special to me. Uh, it was, uh, uh, man, it's been a lot of years now, it seems like. 13, 14 years ago, New Year's Day, I get home from uh, being with college friends in a New, Year, New Year's party, push the voicemail on the landline, so now I'm pretty old, right? And there's a, there's a voice on that, and it's Dwayne's dad. Iconic voice, just a wonderful man, inviting me to lunch and wanted to talk to me about doing ministry in the Church of the Nazarene. And so, Dwayne, your dad is the reason why I'm here today or a part of that. And so you guys are incredibly special to me. Knowing your story and knowing you just uh, completely moved by a man who heard the call of God to go back to where he was raised, to the poorest parts of the United States, and pour out his life and his family pouring out their life for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And this is one of our faith promise partners. And my hope is today that as we listen to what God is doing in his life and through their ministry, this ministry that our church has already been supporting, we've already done trips down there, that it would just only continue to grow in us this impulse to be on mission wherever we're at. Amen? And so we're going we're gonna to show a video, and then Dwayne's going to share with us this morning. Once again, welcome, Dwayne, to Lima Community. I guess uh, I would have to say I, I grew up in Martin County here. By the time I was 16, I was addicted to all types of medicine. They was paying my way into pill doctors, my uncle was, for... For the pills, just, you know, he would take all the pain pills and he'd give me some nerve pills and I'd go crazy for a week at a time. But uh, I got on meth and uh, 
Matt took my sanity. I lost all sense of reality. It took me to the darkest place in my life where, as far as bad stuff, there isn't anything I haven't done. And I really didn't care. I had so many enemies, and you were done run over every good person that would help you. And like, I just loved me. But it took me to a place I was just miserable, miserable, and I got so miserable and uh, enough to change my life. I'm so thankful for that low point because if things would have just, if I would have skipped by, I don't think I would have ever realized uh, you had, I had to lose it all to uh, decide to change. I was born and raised in Martin County, and so I have a lot of great memories in Eastern Kentucky and Martin County. But on the other end, it's also the place in 1964 where President Johnson came and declared the war on poverty. So it's been a very impoverished place, and people have sensationalized just what happens here and have put labels on people here. Probably the thing that breaks my heart the most as I see our people is the way they're portrayed outside of this community, because probably some of the greatest people I've ever met in my life, probably some of the most wisest people I've ever met in my life, live in these hills and hollers. And so my desire has always been, I want to tell the good things of what happens here. Arrow's mission is to be Christ's love in action in all that we do. Arrow focuses in three areas. One is education. Uh, the other piece is addiction. Um, I don't know of a family in Martin County whose life has not been impacted by the abuse and use of drugs and alcohol. And then, of course, the third area is bringing in short-term mission teams. Uh, we call it work and witness teams uh, because it's not just about coming in and working. It's about witnessing the love and the hope of Christ as they're here to serve alongside of us. I had a friend, and I got a message from her, and that's how I was doing, and she's like, you need to go to rehab. And I was like, you tell them to call me and I'll go. I left a couple of days later. I hated it the first 20 days, and then that's when I ended up uh, at Celebrate Recovery in a rehab, and uh, I was having a service similar to last night, and some guys like, you ought to go up there and pray. And I wanted to, but uh, I had a chip on my shoulder where I was a tough guy, and it cost me a lot of hard time being a tough guy. After I went to the altar and prayed, I caught myself the next day in group, uh, feeling pity for strange people that I didn't even know about their struggles, and that was weird to me because I, I never had a heart. So for nobody but myself, it benefited me. Just one prayer. and and my feelings toward myself and the world changed. When I was a kid, I can remember ARO coming to my house and painting it. Actually, Dwayne and his crew put the roof on like uh, before my father passed away. They fixed the floors and uh, they're coming back to fix some more. <laughs> this is a poor community and they've served so many people, like so many people that I know, so many people that I don't know, they're such a blessing to all this community. I want our people to be seen in such a way that um, when people come here to serve alongside of us, that they literally leave changed because of what people have spoken into their lives, the people that live here. 
That's the story I try to tell people, that this is a place that literally, when you come in and experience it, will change your life if you'll come in and with an open heart. Good morning. It's good to see each of you here this morning, and what a privilege it is to be in Lima, Ohio. Uh, it's good to be back in the state of Ohio. I do have roots here. Uh, my mom was born and raised in Bucyrus, Ohio. And then I met my beautiful wife at Mount Vernon Nazarene College. It's now a university, so that dates me a little bit. But she's from Circleville, Ohio, so I do have some roots here. And, uh, and so what a privilege it is to be back here and be invited by your pastor and others to be here to share with you on uh, this special Sunday, Faith Promise. What an important time in the life of the church where we trust God uh, with our resources beyond our tithes and offerings. And so I'm going to challenge you, even before I get into what God has laid on my heart, to really pray about what God is calling you and your family to do for Faith Promise as you think about missions locally and around the world. Because God is at work. Do you believe that God is still in the business of redeeming, restoring, and transforming lives? Amen. I believe so with all of my heart. I, I get to see it every day. I, I tell people as I travel this country and speak and, and hold workshops and seminars and all of that and talking about rural poverty alleviation, uh, I, I get the privilege of just talking about how I get to watch as I literally watch the walking dead come back to life. Uh, Johnny Dell, in his story there, uh, since that video was a shot and we, uh, he shared a little bit of his story, Johnny Dell has gotten both of his children back in his home. His son, Landon, is now a freshman in high school. His daughter, Bella, is a fourth grader at Eden Elementary, and he also has custody of his nephew. His sister, Johnny Dell's sister, is now on the road to recovery, and Johnny Dell has custody. And Johnny Dell works uh, as a mechanic at a place called Second Chance Auto. I love it. I love that name. And God is doing amazing uh, things through the life of Johnny Dell, one of my dear friends, and I'm so thankful for that. And so what a privilege it is to be here today, and I want to say thank you to Lima Community. Uh, you have, as Pastor Chip mentioned, been engaged in our work for the last handful of years. We have been a Faith Promise partner with you, I think, four out of the last five years that I've been the executive director at Appalachia Reach Out. And then in August of 22, you brought a work and witness team down that partnered with us. I didn't get to spend a lot of time with that team because that was the time when we had the devastating floods of eastern Kentucky and God had called me to work in a county just south of where we live, uh, but you all were there serving with our staff, continuing the work that we do there every day of the year, and so I want to say thank you to Lima Community. The dollars that you give do impact lives, and we're seeing lives one to Jesus, some who rededicate their lives, some connected back uh, into the church, and so you are a part of that story, but I didn't come here today just to talk about our ministry in eastern Kentucky. I came to challenge all of us today because I believe God is at work individually, also collectively. And so I want to start with a very familiar passage of Scripture that if you've been around the church for very long, you've heard this passage of Scripture. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. 
He doesn't say at the end of that passage of Scripture that he will make your paths easy, but he will make them straight. Do you believe that we serve a God that makes our paths straight today? Uh, I was reminded, and I shared this with the first service this morning uh, in the early service, this passage of Scripture hit me, and I thought, I need to share that at the end of that passage today. Uh, In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4, the writer of Isaiah says this, Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Aren't you glad when we're going through the valley, Scripture says, of the shadow of death, he promises that he'll be with us, but he also promises that he will lift us up. Have you ever been there in your life where you have been walking through a very difficult time and you now know as you look back at that time that you walked through that if it wasn't for the hand of God, you would have never made it through? I think we all can testify to that in our own lives. But I want to ask you a very important question this morning and I want you to think about it for just a few few seconds as I ask this question. The question is this. Are you willing to put your yes on the table and allow Christ to ask the question? Think about that question for a second. Are you willing to put your yes on the table and allow Christ to ask the question? It's a question that I've been asking myself for now for a number of years. You see, we are a people who like to have the question to ask, and then we'll respond, but, but the gospel message is not about us having all of the questions answered on this journey, but it's about us trusting who he says he is. And so I'm wondering today in your own life, what is God calling you to trust him with? And and I don't know what that is today. I I don't know um, your story, and we all have a story that's something that we have in common today. There's some of you here that you might be on the mountaintop. And there's some of you here who are walking through difficult times. But I want you to know this today, that God is with you. You can trust him at his word. Scripture tells us that his promises are yes and amen. And he can be trusted today. It was September the 6th of 2011, and my wife and I were serving at Olivet Nazarene University. Uh, I was the dean of students, and my wife was the director of counseling and health services. And and, uh, we had been in uh, just south of Chicago for about six years of that time. And, And you take a boy out of the mountains of Appalachia and put him just south of Chicago, let me tell you something. It is like a different world in many ways. And so it was beginning to feel like home for us. We had just had our fourth child, Cora Emily, who is actually with me today. Usually I'm traveling the country by myself, but she told me on Friday, Dad, I would like to go with you. So she, as someone said after the first service, she's your bodyguard, huh? And yes, she is. So it's good to have her today. She had just been born. She was only a couple of months old, and and we had begun the academic year, and we were in chapel, in the Centennial Chapel, which had just been built. And I was seated in the nosebleed section, and we had a special speaker, that chapel service, and he made a statement in that morning service. He shared a story, and through the story that he was sharing, he asked the question. Uh, The question was asked, why would you be in a place where God could use anyone? 
Why wouldn't you go to a place where he could only use you? And in that moment, the Holy Spirit breathed Martin County into my spirit. Now, Martin County, for most people, that that doesn't ring a bell, but that far right county that's shaded red, right above the furthest eastern county, which is Pike County, is Martin County, Kentucky, literally on the state line of Kentucky and West Virginia. How many of you have ever heard of the Hatfields and McCoys? Anybody heard of them? Yeah, old timers have. The, new, the younger ones are like, what? What are you talking about? Hatfields and McCoys. Well, we are at ground zero. That's, that's where that is. And so, so when I was seated in that chapel uh, that morning and the Lord breathed Martin County into my spirit, it was the place that I mentioned on the video that President Johnson came in 1964 and stood on the front porch of the Tom Fletcher home and declared the war on poverty. It was on the front cover of Time and Life magazine, and still to this very day, if there's any major media market that wants to do a story on rural poverty, guess where they come? They come to Martin County, Kentucky. And so a lot of things have happened in the last 60 years. Actually, in April, we celebrate, I wouldn't say celebrate, but we commemorate 60 years of President Johnson being on the front porch of the Tom Fletcher home declaring the war on poverty. And so on that Tuesday morning, I'm wrestling with all kinds of emotions and feelings. I don't say anything to my wife that day. And the next day is Wednesday. And in those days, we live for eight o'clock at night. Parents, you want to know why? Kids are in bed. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Eight o'clock. I wish they would still go to bed at eight o'clock, but that's hard as they get older. They're now begging, Dad, can I just stay up till 11, 1130? Please, Dad. And so we put our kids to bed, and I went downstairs, and I looked. I turned the television off, and I looked across the living room at my wife, and I said, we need to talk about something. And she looked back at me, and she said, it, it wouldn't be something that happened yesterday in chapel, would it? And I said, it is. Uh, she said, it wouldn't be something that the, the special speaker said in our, in our chapel and during the chapel message, would it? And I said, yes, it is. And she said, it wouldn't be this, and then she repeated verbatim what I shared with you. And then she looked back across at me and she said, God is calling you to Turkey Creek. You see, Turkey Creek is a small little community in Martin County right on the river. Um, I, I had been wrestling for two days with this and my wife looked back at me and she said, I knew God was doing something a year ago. And I looked back at her and said, well, why didn't you tell me? She said, because God needed to speak that into you. And so we began to talk about it, and as tears streamed down our face, there was a lot of emotions and feelings. And as Chip mentioned, my father has been a pastor and district superintendent. I have a brother that pastors a Nazarene church and brother-in-law that pastors a church in Mount Vernon, Ohio. And my other brother has just been named the VP of spiritual life and, and church relations at Mount Vernon. And my youngest sister married a Nazarene pastor, and he pastors a church in Columbus, Ohio. And so we're all in ministry. And usually when we're going through these times in our life, we're picking up the phone and we're calling each other and holding each other up in prayer. And I looked at my wife and I said, let's not call anyone. Let's just begin to pray just you and I because we can't really leave. This is an academic year. We couldn't leave until the end of the academic year anyways, which would have been May of 2012. So we began to pray, and I'll never forget a few weeks into praying about what God was beginning to stir up within us. I remember being seated at 835 Peony Lane where we lived at the kitchen table in Bourbon A, Illinois, and, and began to... Uh, to write a few things down. Do you know any type A people? Okay, somebody really agreed with me there. Be careful, you might get in trouble for that. 
Well, if you know anything about type A people, they like legal pads, and they like lists, and they even like to color code them. I don't know if you can see that from where. Well, that's, that's me. That's, that's what I like. I actually, my wife's a psychologist, and so she has diagnosed me a long time ago that you are a type A OCD person. And so I remember being seated at the kitchen table and, and writing the pros and cons of us staying or of us going. I, I believe there's times in our life where God calls us and he allows us to choose and he's going to be in the middle of whatever we choose. But I also believe there's times in our life where God calls us very specifically to do something. And if we don't say yes, in other words, put our yes on the table and allow him to ask the question, then we're walking out of his known will for our life. And I remember the Holy Spirit in that moment breathing these words into my spirit. He said, Dwayne, you need to lay down your pencil. You will never be able to figure me out at the end of a pencil. And how many times in our life have we tried to figure out God, this infinite God who loves us, who created us, and the world in which we live. We have tried to figure him out at the end of a pencil when we are to trust him with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding but in all our ways acknowledge him and he will make our paths straight I wished I had the time to, to go into all the details of what God uh, did through all of that work uh, in our life. And long story short, we said yes to Jesus. And in June of 2012, we moved from Olivet, Bourbonnet, Illinois to Martin County, Kentucky. We uprooted our, our family. We have four children. And we moved, and, and God began to do a great work. And I told our church board that this church that, that we were a part of now, it was a church that my grandfather had founded back in 1950. You see, my grandfather had a fifth-grade education. He was a drunk, and God radically saved him. He learned to read by reading the Bible. He, he would board away in a coal camp in Red Jacket, West Virginia. He would work in the coal mines for 40 years, two miles underground and 18 inches of coal. He worked and provided for his family, and he would come home on the weekends and help at the church. But he felt like there needed to be a holiness presence in our community. You see, in 1950, there was this little clapboard Methodist church that was on the circuit. And I don't know if you know what that means, but it means once a month, a Methodist minister would come in and hold services, let's say on the third Sunday of the month, and not be back until the next month. And so my grandfather, with two of my great-grandmothers, with three other people, felt like there needed to be a holiness presence in that community. And so they left that little community and went to Ashland, Kentucky, which was an all-day trip back then. Today you can get there in about 45, 50 minutes, depending on who is driving. When you live in Appalachia, you, you learn how to get around really quick, as quick as you can. And they went and they purchased that little clapboard church for $175 and they brought it back into the Nazarene church or, back, or into the Nazarene church in 1950. And for the last 74 years, there's been over 30 men and women called into ministry out of that church because my grandfather was willing to put his yes on the table and allow God to ask the question. My father, who was one of 11, said yes to Jesus. The only one in his family that went and got a college education. If you were to ask him today, 
how he was able to get out of Appalachia to, to get an education and all of that, he would say it was because of the church. The church is a powerful force that God has set up to be the redemptive arm in the world to reach those who are broken and need Jesus. Uh, the church is not a building. It is not brick and mortar. It's you and it's I. As Jesus told the apostle Peter, it's up on you. You are a rock, Peter, and it's up on you that I will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, we're supposed to be on the offensive, not the defense, as the church of Jesus Christ. And so God called us and, and we moved and, and God began to open up doors and, and uh, we began to bring in our, our, actually our first work and witness team came in a month after we moved. And what we did for the first couple of years, we would actually host teams in homes in our church. And we were just a little country church with about 125, 130 people. And so depending on the size of the group, we would get volunteers. And when we didn't have enough volunteers, guess where they stayed? At the pastor's house in the church parsonage with the pastor's family. And in the summer of 2014, we had a group of about 58 that came to serve alongside of us, and we couldn't find housing for 26, I'm going to repeat it again, 26 senior high girls. And yes, they stayed in the 2,000 square foot parsonage with the pastor and his family that made 32 because we had six. And they did well, but you put 26 senior high girls in your house for a week and let me know how it goes by the end of the week. In two and a half bathrooms. Yeah, it was a challenge. And I know this is not correct English, but two or three days into that, I looked at my wife and I said, this ain't working. And she said, well, what do we need to do? I said, let's pray if we're going to continue to do this. And it wasn't long after that, this couple who was a part of a ministry called Appalachia Reach Out, a ministry that was started in 1972 by a lady whose name was Miss Jo Boomsma. She was never married. She was an educator, and she felt like God called her radically to move from Grand Rapids, Michigan, into this small little eastern Kentucky county called Martin County to start this ministry called Appalachia Reach Out. I remember Miss Jo, a few years after she started Appalachia Reach Out in 1972, she started another ministry called Christian Appalachian Home, which worked with abused women and their children. And on Sunday nights, she would come into our church with those women and their children. I remember Miss Jo like it was yesterday, a wonderful, godly woman. And so Appalachia Reach Out was started in 1972 by the Reformed Church out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. And so this couple who was a part of this ministry started coming to our church because our sons played soccer together and we had a, a, an active youth program and, and they saw what we were doing and we were hosting teams and homes in our churches and they said, we've got this ministry where we have places where we can house teams that come in and serve and the weeks that we don't have them there, we know that you can use that. Why don't you come and, and meet our executive director? So I did and we began that partnership and for two years we did that and at the end of those two years, I got a call from the board of directors out of Grand Rapids, and they said, would you come and meet with us? We would like to talk to you. And so we went to this little suburb of Grand Rapids called Cutlerville, and I sat in a basement. It was a youth room with all the, I'll never forget it, it was all these couches that did not match in this youth room. I don't know if you've ever had any of those places, but that's what it was. I don't know why they picked the youth room of all the rooms in the church, but they did. And they wanted to hear our story, and we shared our story with them. And at the end of that, they said, um, what would you do, Dwayne, if we gifted you 
the five acres, the buildings, and the cash assets for ministry. Would you be interested? And like any good husband whose wife was not with him, I said, I don't know, I need to go talk to my wife. Now, ladies, you did exactly what the first service did. I set you up and you literally failed. That was a place for you to say, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And you failed. And so we did. I I went back and and for two years, we knew that executive director was still there for two more years and we prayed about it. And through those two years of prayer and God opening and closing doors, we knew God was calling us to that work. So in the fall of 2018, we became a compassionate ministry center within the church of the Nazarene. And I left till fourth time pastorate in January of 19, a little bit over five years ago to step into the role of executive director. And because we'd already spent seven years in the community And, of course, I was a part of that community and many family members who are connected to me in that community. God has opened doors for us to work in the areas of education, addiction, uh, community engagement, leadership development. We do a lot of work with local government. We started another nonprofit 10 years ago that God has been blessing called Thrive Community Coalition. And God's doing some amazing work through that. And then work in witness teams. And, and, and I wish I had all the time today to tell you everything that God is doing. In the last three years at our Martin County site, we've had 92 work and witness teams in three years. That's over 1,200 people who've come in and worked alongside of us to be the hands and the feet and the heart and the mission of Jesus to go into places that we never thought were possible. Uh, Three years ago, we opened up another site in Nicholas County, West Virginia, and just this past year, we opened up another site in Perry County, Kentucky, where God is opening doors for us to go in and to be the hands and the feet and the heart and the mission of Jesus. In closing, I want to tell you a story about a dear friend of mine. When we moved to Martin County, and I was the pastor for the first seven years, when before we moved... I had read a book called Sun Stand Still. It's a book that's written about Joshua's life and and primarily about Joshua chapter 10 where God calls Joshua to defeat the Amorite armies. And I don't know if you remember that story in scripture, but in the middle of God doing what God or Joshua doing what God called him to do, he was defeating the Amorite armies and the sun was setting and he prayed Now this is my translation. He, was pray- he prayed the prayer, Lord, if you want me to do what you've called me to do, you need to stop the sun in its place so I can do what you've called me to do. And the book talks about do we believe the God of Joshua chapter 10 and the, jo- the God of the New Testament is the same God that we serve today? Do we truly believe what Scripture says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that lives and reigns within our hearts and our lives? And the book goes on to talk about what prayer do you need to pray that if God doesn't show up, it's not answered? And so our church board and leadership team, I led them through that book, and we would take an annual uh, retreat every year in August. And we went to Jenny Wiley State Park, and so they had read that book, and I said, okay, let's begin to pray. That, uh, it was on a Saturday morning. I said, let's begin to pray, and let's, let's pray a prayer that if God doesn't show up, it's not answered. And so we prayed, and we thought about it, we talked about it, and we settled on this. Let's pray that God would obliterate the drug culture in Martin County. You see, we are the epicenter of the opioid crisis in Martin County. Per capita, at one time, we were the number two county in all of the country for deaths. 
So we began to pray. We began to meet at 5 o'clock on Sunday nights, and we just began to pray. We weren't experts. We didn't know exactly what we are doing. We knew God had called us to prayer because we believe what Scripture says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive them of their sin, and I will heal their land. And so we began to gather and pray and cry out to the Lord. We would gather and we would have a concert of prayer. And uh, we would pray and we would walk the church and we would, we would go in and out of the aisles and we would find ourselves draped over the altar praying for our loved ones. God, please help them. It's a hopeless situation, but Lord, we know that you can move into their life and you can touch them because you've raised the dead to life. We believe that you can do that. And so we began to pray, and one of the first people that we began to pray for, a man by the name of John. John was a son of a free will Baptist preacher. You see, addiction is no respecter of person. It touches all of us. I lost an uncle and a cousin, a dad and a son, of a drug overdose in the same year. And so we began to pray for John. You see, John's sister, Sonia, came to our church. John, at times in his 40 years of addiction, was a functioning addict at times. Sometimes he wasn't. It was pretty obvious. Uh, but, but John was married to Jennifer, and Jennifer was an educator. They had four beautiful children. And we began to pray for John because Sonia brought his name to our prayer group because she was a part of our church. And we just prayed, Lord, get a hold of John's life. Do something. Unless you intervene, God, this is not going to happen. And in January of 14, John, God, got a hold of his life. And he went to a men's residential treatment facility that we have partnered with through Addiction Recovery Care, which has about 40 facilities in the state of Kentucky. They're coming into Ohio now. They're a Christian for-profit ministry. God's doing amazing things. That's who touched Johnny Dell's life that you just heard about. God got a hold of John's life and he went through residential treatment. He came back to Martin County, and at that time I was still pastoring the church. And I remember getting a call in the church office one day, and John said, Hey, I'm going around to the churches and ministerial association. We feel called to start Celebrate Recovery. Can I come and speak? I said, Come ahead, John. Please come ahead. By the way, whatever you pray for, get ready for God to answer that prayer. And so six years ago, this past October, we celebrated six years of Celebrate Recovery. We've seen over 500 people come to Jesus. Because John was willing to put his yes on the table. And so was Jennifer. And allow Christ to ask the question. So what's the moral of the story I have a little bit more time in the second service. I kind of like it. I know what time it is. I see it. It's staring right at me. Trust me. The moral of the story is this. Do not give up on the brink of a miracle. Do not give up on the brink of a miracle. That loved one that you have prayed for year after year after year after year, do not give up. Do not give up. Do not give up. Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that's living and reigning in your heart and your life today. It is the same God 
who can reach down in a hopeless situation and bring people. I wish I could tell you about Jamie Jude. I wish I could t- I can ha- tell you name after name after name of people that God has radically touched their lives. And I believe it's true for you today. This is not a story about ARO. Yes, God is moving in the mountains and there are things he is doing. I've been a part of a three-week revival four years ago in our Free Will Baptist Church. Let me tell you something, folks. It ain't only Nazarenes are going to get to heaven. Amen? I've been a part of a, I was a part of a three-week revival in a Free Will Baptist Church where we saw 87 people come to Jesus. It's still, he's still at work. Are we willing to, and are we willing more than anything to allow him to move? He wants to move. He desires to move. And I believe at Lima Community, God is at work. And God is moving. I want to encourage you in your faith promise this year to go beyond whatever God is calling you to do because it's all about him anyways. And see, we don't own anything. God has made us steward of what he has given to us. And so we hold it loosely. God, it is yours. I give it to you. I give it to you. There's a song that I heard not too long ago that speaks specifically, and I don't know what God is calling you to today. Uh, Maybe it's to mend a broken relationship that has been severed for years. Family, work, neighbor, I don't know. And you might be saying, now, where we live, they don't say pastor. They call you preacher. And you might be saying, preacher, you don't know my situation. You're right, I don't, but he does. And don't you think the God that created you, that knit you together in your mother's womb, he knows everything you're walking through. And so he is calling you to do something more than what you could ever think or imagine. If you will truly trust him. This song, here's the lyrics to it, it says this. Standing at the crossroads of faith and deepest fear. So afraid if you move on from here. The road ahead is steep, but you're not giving up because God's about to take you to a brand new place of trust. Take a step of faith. It's time to move. Lay aside your fears and watch what God will do. There's victory ahead. Victory That mountain's not too high. Friend, hold on, because you're about to climb. I believe that. We used to sing an old song entitled, I Surrender All, and there's a line in it that says, I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. You might be asking yourself today, what can I do? One of the most important things, and the most important probably, is to pray for us. Out in the foyer area, there's, there's a prayer guide. It's not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination, but it's something that you can put in your Bible or on your fridge. We believe foundational to all that we do in our ministry and the work that we do to the poorest in our country is that you would just pray for us. Please pray for us. We need your prayers And the next thing I'm going to tell you, if you don't like me talking about it, you need to take it up with your pastor because he told me it was okay and I get to leave in just a few minutes and you get to live with him. But I ask him, I always ask pastors this. I I try to be very sensitive to it. The church has been 
uh, a supporter financially through your faith promise dollars for the last four, four or five years. But maybe as individual or as a family, you want to support us financially. There's, on the back of that prayer guide, there's ways that you can do that. There's no pressure to that. We would just ask that you'd pray about it. And if God lays it on your heart, then we would want you to obey him, of course. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning as we close. I want to pray a prayer over you today. I just ask if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. I know that God is speaking, and maybe he's speaking to you about that brand new place of trust, or maybe he's speaking to you because maybe you think there's no hope for my situation. And maybe through the power of God's spoken word today, he's encouraged your heart and reminded you that there's nothing impossible with him. Folks, I want to live in such a way that would be pleasing to him. I wrote this down earlier this week. I want to do my part to produce a harvest of obedience for the glory of God. And I want to live in the middle of a move of God. And so I pray this prayer that I pray all over the country and I pray it for Lima community today. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for our time together today. We have felt your presence in this place. It has been, as it's already been stated, a sweet spirit has been here. We have sang about the beautiful and the powerful name of Jesus. And we believe in the name of Jesus. Lord, there has been times in our life where all we could literally utter was the name of Jesus. Scripture tells us at the mention of the name of Jesus that Satan has to flee. Your name is powerful. And it's in that name we pray this prayer. Lord, I pray for Lima community today and all of us today that we would quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Oh God, help us to set God-sized goals, to pursue God-ordained passions, to go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep asking questions. And Lord, we know as we step out on faith that there's going to be mistakes made. But Lord, we're trusting you. Lord, may we keep seeking you with all of our heart. Lord, may we stop pointing out our problems and become part of the solution. May we stop repeating the past and start creating the future. And Lord, may we stop playing it safe and start taking risks. Lord, I pray right now in this very moment that for Lima community that you would continue to expand their horizons. Help them to accumulate experiences, to enjoy the journey, to find every excuse they can, to celebrate everything that they can, and to live like today is the first day and the last day of their lives. Oh God, today, don't let what's wrong with us keep us from worshiping what's right with you. And Lord, if needed in our lives, would you burn sinful bridges? Would you blaze new trails? God, don't let fear dictate our decisions. And may we take a flying leap of faith. May we quit holding out. May we quit holding back. May we push all of our chips to the middle of the table. Lord, today, this very day, 
It's time for us to ante up all of our faith. It's time for us to go all in. Lord, it is time for us to go all out. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus today. We love you. And we thank you and we praise you for all that you have done in our lives. But Lord, we are going to celebrate everything that you're going to do here and forevermore. We love you. We thank you. Be with Lima Community and Pastor Chip and the pastoral team and the leaders of this church, Sunday school teachers, Lord. Youth leaders. Those that lead in areas here, Lord. Help this church as we leave this place today to be the hands and the feet and the heart and the mission of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You are dismissed. God bless.